if you would please, Colossians chapter 1. I love coming to this church. I really, really enjoy it. I love your pastor. I love his family. I love the people of this church. I love the spirit of the church. I've said I would come out here just to hear the music, but after tonight, I got to sit in the front row during the song service. I'd come out here just to hear you sing. Not the special music, just the congregational music. I understand you had a little tutorial on that. Uh, Brother Gibbs encouraged you or threatened you, or but it was great. It was just wonderful. And uh, I am so excited. Saw the new building. God bless you. Congratulations. And to think of all that's been accomplished in this bad area with all the problems. And I mean, really, this is not fertile soil, you would think, for the gospel. You get a lot of adversaries and enemies, but the gospel works everywhere. And you are living proof of that, and I sure appreciate it. Thank you for the nice room. Thank you for the things in the room, so many goodies. I'm trying to lose some weight. I, I go out May 19th is my last Sunday, and I determined to go out skinny-er. It's getting err than I have been, at least for a while. So I took a walk down there by the marina inn where I stay. Went down along the, the water there with the golf course on the other side. And I, I could tell I was from Michigan because I was wearing a T-shirt and a pair of dry fit exercise shorts and a pair of tennis shoes. And I, I'm not making this up. I saw people wearing hoods and gloves. <laughs> and hats and uh, i guess you thought it was cold it's pretty nice it was minus nine on my car thermometer when i got in the car to go to the airport this morning colossians chapter and i'm going to read you a bunch of verses because i love this chapter and uh, i don't think anything i say about the word of god is so important that we should neglect reading the word of god Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and, our Lord, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, watch this, since we heard of your faith in Christ and the love which you have to all the saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven where have ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel now watch this which is come unto you as it is in say the next three words out loud with me please all the world wow this was a couple of decades maybe after the lord jesus had been crucified and resurrected ascended into heaven Maybe 30, maybe 35 years at the most, I suppose. And the Apostle Paul said, we disciples of Christ took that commission to preach the gospel to every creature really seriously. And without the aid of printing presses, and without telegrams, and without telephones, and without Twitter, and without Instagram, and without Facebook, we've got the gospel, the Bible says, to all the world. Wow. And bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you, since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of the Lord and the grace of God in truth. As you also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. The Apostle Paul never went to Colossae. He didn't start the church in Colossae. Epaphras was the pastor. One of Paul's converts was the pastor. And he couldn't say, I know. He'd just say, I heard of your faith and of your love. 
Colossae is the least significant place to which the Spirit of God moved the Apostle Paul to write an epistle. Smaller town, maybe 20,000 people. But I want you to read what he says about the Lord Jesus because nobody ever spoke of our Lord in grander or more glorious terms than the Apostle Paul is about to hear. The Bible says, who also, verse 8, declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord. Okay. I'm going to say, yeah, I think my life is worthy of the Lord. I think the way I live is worthy of being a living testimony of who Jesus is. You're my epistles, written and read of all men. You're the only Bible the careless world will read. You're the sinner's gospel. You're the scoffer's creed. You're the Lord's last message, written in deed and word. What if the type is crooked and what if the print is blurred and what if our hands are busy with other work than his and what if our feet are walking where sin's allurement is and what if our lips are speaking of things his lips would spurn how can we hope to help him and serve till his return that you might walk worthy of the lord and all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power and all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Yeah. In whom? We have redemption through his blood, the, even the forgiveness of sins. Who? The Lord Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things made that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. I heard about a lady who came to the altar to trust Christ as her Savior. And the preacher was praying with himself. He, she was weeping. She was visibly moved. And, and he said, just repeat after me, Lord, I admit I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. And she didn't say anything. And he thought maybe she was just still overcome by emotion. He said, it's cool. go ahead, ma'am. Just say, Lord, I admit I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. But he sensed something had changed. And he opened his eyes and she was glaring at him. She said, I'm not a dirty, rotten sinner. I'm a nice sinner. No, I'm not a nice sinner. You're not a nice sinner. You know what the Bible says? We were alienated and enemies in our mind by wicked works. You understand that Jesus didn't die for good people. He died for enemies. 
We read about his grace, but yeah, we think grace is God's riches at Christ's expense or unmerited favor. I'm okay with that, but it's a whole lot more than that. If I came by your house and had an ice pick and punctured the tires in all of your vehicles, and then if I trampled down your garden, and then if I, if I poured sugar down the gas tanks of your cars, and then if I wrote with soap on all your windows and broke a couple of them, if I knocked at the door and said, could I have a peanut butter sandwich? Now, it'd be one thing if I just showed up and said, can I have a peanut butter sandwich? That'd be nice if you gave me one then, but I don't know if you call it grace. But if after I'd done all those things to you, you gave me a peanut butter sandwich, that would be grace. Grace is not unmerited favor only. It is favor where there is demerit. And what did the Lord Jesus do to those of us who are alienated, enemies by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled? in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Boy, that's all great stuff. Amen. And everything has been given to us without condition or effort expected on our part up to this point. But now I read something really interesting in verse 23. If ye continue in the faith. I love your theme, go forward. And I'm sure the preachers already pointed out to you that was an incredible command. The army of Pharaoh behind them, mountains on either side, the Red Sea in front of them, and God says, go forward. <laughs> uh, are you sure about that? Can we maybe, uh, you know, double check, make sure the message is right? Our theme this year is continue. It was chosen by my successor. He'll be pastor more of the year than I will. And I said, Pastor Howell, I think you ought to choose the theme this year. And he chose the word continue. Now, the word continue doesn't mean just stay where you are. If you're out on the freeway at rush hour and you just stop, people are going to say, look at that guy. Well, he stayed right in the middle of the road. He's between the lines. Uh, he's where he ought to be. He's headed the right direction. What a blessing. So they're going to say, because eh. they don't want you to just stay where you were. They want you to keep going forward. Somebody said, even if you're on the right track, you're going to get run over if you just sit there. If you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and was pre which was preached Say the next phrase with me, to every creature which is under heaven. Or have I, Paul, am made a minister. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to say what you'd want said, what would help this church, this great crowd of people. What a wonderful spirit, what a wonderful place. And I'm so honored to be here. I pray that you'd empower me and direct me, that you bind the devil and his demons and not let them interfere with anything you wish to do in our hearts and lives. And bless the preaching and the invitation. We'll thank you in Jesus' name for what you do tonight. Amen. You may be seated. When Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, he was aware that they had many adversaries. If you're keeping an outline, that's Roman number one, the adversaries. Now, they were a multitude of false doctrines that came against the church at Colossae. They had to deal with intellectualism and ritualism and legalism and asceticism and mysticism. But the main adversaries they had were the Gnostics. And the Gnostics, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S, the Gnostics had some interesting beliefs. They believed that all matter was evil. 
Because of that, they denied the humanity of Christ. Most cults go wrong on the divinity of Christ. They don't believe Jesus is God. But the Gnostics believe that Jesus never became a man because all matter is evil. Only the spirit realm is good. They believe there is an unknowable God who gave rise to lesser spirit beings and that the creator of the universe is one of those lesser beings, not the supreme God. They believe there's no such thing as sin. They could have been liberal politicians. <laughs> Only ignorance. They believe that salvation was achieved by discovering secret knowledge. That's what they believed. So here's how they behaved. Because of that, they denied there was any evil and they denigrated the Lord Jesus. He isn't God. He isn't the creator of the world. He is not God in the flesh. He's just one of those lesser spirit beings. Now, in the face of all these errors, Paul moves the apostle Paul to write an epistle to give them an answer. If you're keeping track, that's Roman numeral two out of 17 or less. The answer. Now, there is a discipline called apologetics. It's a valid, good biblical discipline. Now, the word apology sounds like you're, you're being timid and, uh, and uh, feeling sorry about something. We use it that way. But, but the word really meant a speech in defense of. And apologetics is that, that discipline that answers the critics with the word of God. And there's some good books out there. I've read many of them, uh, uh, some of them more recent, some from years ago that answer the critics and they give them evidence from the Bible and they give them evidence from history and they give them evidence from science. And it's a very appropriate discipline. The apostle Paul did that with the church at Galatia. He said, I marvel that you're so soon removed from the doctrine. He said, uh, you're so foolish. You think you began in the spirit and you're going to be made perfect in the flesh. And he kind of went point by point about what their problems were. But he didn't do any of that with the church at Colossae. He doesn't say, now you were taught this, but this is true. And you were taught this, but this is true. Here is the answer. The entire answer that he gives is a wonderful treatise on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He said, I'll tell you who he is. He's the one who gives you pardon. Verse 14, you have redemption through his blood. I'll tell you what he is in his person. He's the image of the invisible God. Verse 15, uh, the Bible says, no man hath seen the Father at any time, but the only begotten of the Father, the Lord Jesus, he hath declared him. Paul Harvey was a commentator on the radio years ago, and he always did a little thing at Christmas time about a man who loved birds, put out bird feeders, and, and sometimes he'd go out maybe to feed the birds, and they'd get scared and fly away. And he said, birds, I love you. I love watching you. I'd never hurt you. And the birds still flew away. So he thought, well, maybe they speak Spanish. And he spoke to them in Spanish, and they flew away, and he learned another language, and he maybe tried sign language, and the birds kept flying away. And it dawned on the man that the only way he could communicate with the birds, his love and his concern for them was to become a bird. <laughs> and from the womb of a virgin in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, God became man. 
We have not an high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, and yet without sin. Our Savior has been lonely. Our Savior has been cold. Our Savior has been hungry. Our Savior has been lied about. Our Savior has been scorned. Our Savior has been rejected. Our Savior has been stabbed in the back by one of his closest followers. I'm here to tell you, you can't see God face to face. Nobody can do that and live. But Jesus came to show us just what he's like. He's the progenitor of all that exists. He is before all. By him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or principalities or dominions or powers. All things were created by him and for him. He is to have preeminence. The Bible says that he is before all things and by him, all things consist that in all things we might have the pre, he might have the preeminence and he's our peace. Verse 20, having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they things in earth or in heaven, Brother Fong, you've had the wonderful privilege of seeing families that have been torn apart by sin and put back together by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We operate a home for men overcoming addictions and we have uh, Oh, 25 to 30 men at any given time that we house in that transitional ministry. It's a wonderful ministry. And we get people who, because of drugs and alcohol and other behaviors, have families that won't speak to them. They've stolen from them. They've neglected them. They've sometimes been violent with them. And then they come and we tell them about Jesus. And Jesus changes their lives, and it takes a while, but after a time, the phantom begins to say, hey, there's something different there, and then they'll come for a visit, and then they'll hear about Jesus, and now two transformed lives come together, and there are families all over different parts of our country who have been reconciled by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what they found. They had strife, and they had hardships, and they had difficulties, and they had anger, and they had arguments, and they had fighting, and they found peace through Jesus Christ. He says, I'll tell you the answer, it's Jesus. Somebody, wise guy said, well, if Christ is the answer, what's the question? Well, it doesn't matter. You want to know how to get to heaven? He's the way. You like Pilate and you say, what is truth? He answers, he is the truth. He said, I'm the way and the truth. You want to know how to have a life that is filled to overflowing, a life with purpose, a life that matters, a life that transcends all the petty materialism and grubby partisanship that we see all around us. He said, I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He is the way and he is the truth and he is the life. Oh, let me tell you, what you need is Jesus. Now you live in a society, we all do, and you particularly here where evil is called good and good is called evil. So uh, it's all right uh, for a man to marry a man. It's all right for a man to become a woman. It's all right for a man to use a woman's restroom. That's all right. But if Karen Pence wants to volunteer her time at a Christian school, that's evil. You live in an area where homeless people have become a protected species. You live in an area where the laws make absolutely no sense. Do you know, I was reading about this the other day, there's a new category of crime. It's called survival crime. And here is the theory. Hey, that poor guy didn't have anything to eat. He just stole to be able to stay alive. So we can't prosecute him for that. Well, Mr. and Mrs. Politician, if you'd open the doors of your gated community and let them raid your cupboard, I might believe you were sincere. 
if you reach in your pocket and pull out some of your money to give them instead of just voting more taxpayers' money, you say, yeah, how are we going to do it? What's the answer? The answer is Jesus. Yeah, you see, yeah, everybody who comes to know Jesus as their Savior gets a new heart and a new life and a new destiny. They're dwelt by the Spirit of God, and old things are passed away, and all things become new, and there's such a change on the inside that it begins to show on the outside, and the things they used to love, they begin to hate, and the things they used to hate, they begin to love. I'm telling you, all that is necessary for people to be helped and, 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 and given everlasting life, and, and their lives turn around and all the wrong ideas and wrong thinking be straightened out is it somebody tell them about Jesus wow he says here's the answer he talks about the Lord's atonement I'll just say a word about this he said it's a sacrificial atonement verse 20 he made peace through his blood the blood of his cross he said it's a substantial atonement that it is able to reconcile all things verse 20 unto himself. Hey, the next time somebody says, well, you might not be one of the elect, say, I don't know about that, but I'm one of all things. <laughs> you can have all that deep, fancy theology, but the Bible says Christ died for the world, and it says he came to reconcile all things unto himself. It's a successful atonement. You have he reconciled. Your salvation is completed the moment you believe on the Lord Jesus. You know that? You're not hoping to get eternal life someday. If you've got Jesus, you have eternal life. You pass from death unto life. You are as certain to be in heaven as if you're already there. You're not going to wake up one day and say, oh, wow, I made it. No, no, that's all settled and guaranteed. You have been reconciled by the blood of Jesus. It's a singular atonement. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none of the name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Oh, the apostle Paul says you got this error and that error and this enemy and that enemy, and you got this problem and that problem. And he said what you really need to do is know all about Jesus. I read years ago that the Chinese banking families had an interesting practice with their children. They never let them see counterfeit money. But from the time they were very young, they let them play and handle and be around all denominations of real money. Because you know what they believed? They believed if they really knew what the real thing was, they'd recognize a counterfeit immediately. And you know, the apostle Paul says, you got all those phonies out there, but you know who Jesus is and you focus your attention on him and you love him and you serve him and you study him and you say like Paul is moved with the spirit of God to say to the Philippians in chapter three and verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death and all the rest of that stuff will be okay. Who is he? Well, to the artist. He's the altogether lovely one. To the architect, he's the chief cornerstone. To the astronomer, he's the son of righteousness. To the baker, he's the bread of life. To the banker, he's the hidden treasure. To the builder, he's the sure foundation. To the carpenter, he's the door. To the doctor, he is a great physician. To the educator, he's a great teacher. To the electrician, he's the light of the world. To the engineer, he's the new and living way. To the farmer, he is the sower and lord of the harvest. To the florist, he's the rose of Sharon. To the geologist, he is the rock of ages. To the horticulturist, 
of us. He is the true vine to the judge. He is the only righteous judge of mankind to the juror. He is the faithful and true witness to the jeweler. He's the pearl of great price to the newsman. He is the good news of great joy to the oculist. He's the light of the eyes to the philanthropist. He's the unspeakable gift to the philosopher. He's the wisdom of God to the preacher. He's the word of God to the sculptor. He's the living stone to the servant. He is the wonderful and perfect master to the statesman. He's the desire of all nations to the student. He's the incarnate truth to the toiler. He's the giver of rest to the sinner. He is the lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of the world. I'm here to tell you, Jesus is everything. We sing sometimes, he's all I need. He's all I need. Jesus is all I need. That may be a simple little song, but it's true. Well, Bob Jones Sr. was conducting a revival meeting many years ago. In a morning service, he asked for testimony. Among the crowd was an old preacher. His wife had died. His children lived far away. His voice was gone. He couldn't really preach anymore. And the old preacher reached up to the pew in front of him with arms about the size of broomsticks. He painfully pulled himself to his feet. And what was left of a voice, he said, Dr. Bob, Dr. Bob, he said, I'm old. I can't preach anymore. He said, my wife's gone to heaven. My children live far away. He said, all I have is Jesus. And some other testimonies were given. The old man once again reached out to the pew and pulled himself up. And he said, Dr. Bob, Dr. Bob, come to think about it. All I need is Jesus. If you doubt, he is the amen, the faithful, trustworthy, true, true witness. If you're weak or you feel insulted or persecuted, he's our power and our strength. If you feel fragile, he is our sustainer. If you're straying, he's the shepherd who brings back the straying lamb to the flock. If you're in conflict and strife, he's the prince of peace. If you have an unforgiving spirit, he is the forgiver who forgives us and enables us to forgive others. If you're in need, he is ever ready to supply. If you have a dark night in your soul, he's the light of darkness and the bright and morning star. If you're having trouble and affliction and storms of life, he's a hiding place. If you're fearful and you're being attacked, he's our sword and our shield. If you've failed, he's the restorer of the years as the locusts have eaten. If you're lonely, he's the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. If you're in despair, he is our hope. If you're suffering from a wounded spirit, he is the bomb in Gilead. If your heart is troubled and fearful, he is your peace. If you're afraid, he's the one who never will desert or forsake his own. If you're caught in the midst of the storm, he is the rock with a cleft in which we can hide. And if you're out in the water sinking down, he's the hand that reaches out to rescue you in dire straits. He's the great I am. He's everything you need. He's everything you want. All you need is Jesus. He gives him an answer. He tells him about their atonement. He reminds him of their attainment. He says, you've been redeemed by his blood. You've been reconciled to God. You've been made righteous through him. And then he gives them an avenue down which they must walk. After the glorious recitation of the wonderful person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he said, whoops, if you can enjoy this, if you're going to have all that God wants you to have, if you're going to look forward with joy to your salvation, if you're going to have the abundant life that is promised through Jesus Christ, there's something you have to do. You have to continue. Sometimes the most important thing in the whole world you can ever do is to continue. 
My wife and I got back Friday from 18 days in Hawaii. Well, 19-day trip, two days to travel, 70 days on the island of Kauai. Years ago, Brother Nathan Gross said, would you preach for me on the island of Kauai? I said, let me pray about it, yes. <laughs> it's been our ninth trip. I save up my frequent flyer miles and take my wife and I over there. And there's a path, not too far, maybe 15 minutes by car, 10 minutes uh, from where we stay. It's a path, a bike path, paved path right by the ocean. We drive down and we get out of the car and we walk and we will usually walk for an hour and a half to two hours. Now, we go beyond the paved path and we walk on some dirt trail that goes through tall grasses and we come to a couple of coves you wouldn't see otherwise. And it's a great thing. We cross a little stream on the way. We did better this year because we took walking sticks with us. No, they were not canes. They were walking sticks. And uh, the first day or so, my, my, my father went to heaven November 4th, and my mother-in-law, who'd lived with us for over three years, went to heaven on November 26th. And my wife had been caring for her night and day, up all the time at night, not getting any rest, and not getting much exercise. And she loves that walk. And, and you know, the first couple of days, she'd say, oh, I thought we're almost back, but that's that other fence we got to go to. And she wondered if she could make it. Do you know how we made it? Are you ready? Write this down. It may help you sometime. We kept walking. So that's not very deep. No, but it's really important. I don't know anybody's gotten in real bad trouble. I know people messed up their lives, but not irreparably. I don't know anybody's getting made a super mess of their life that was reading their Bible every day. Some of you used to have family devotions, but you don't continue. You used to have a regular time of Bible reading and prayer, but you don't continue. I've seldom seen an active soul winner develop a critical spirit. Did you ever notice that? I've just seldom seen that. I don't know why I'm saying this. I hadn't intended to say it. Maybe to help somebody. Maybe it'll just be an interesting story. As we worked for four years on the transition, I told the people what I thought and I was going to ask them to vote on Pastor Howell as my successor. We did that two years before I was to leave. And we had some questions and answers. And, uh, and one of the questions was, most of them were written down, uh, are you going to allow the people to have something to say about how their faith building offering dollars are spent? And I know who wrote the question. And I said, let me answer that, Pastor Howell. I said, uh, I'm not saying anything about the person who wrote the question. I could have, but I wasn't. But I said, questions like that are usually posed by people who don't give any money themselves, but they want to have a lot to say about other people's money. <laughs> Listen, if you want to do that, run for Congress. I said, our faith-building offering is the most democratic process in the world. We tell you what you're going to do with the money. You give, and we spend the money on what we said. It's real simple. We don't vote on it. If you don't want to give, don't give. Interesting. Interesting how people, you watch them, and they get a little less involved, and they get a little less happy. And they get a little less faithful, and they get a little more critical. And they, they, they got good reasons sometimes, it seems. They're working on a master's degree, or they got a second job, or they, it's a longer commute now, or they have a child, and 
But you watch what happens. And, you know, I've never seen anybody stay Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, serving, soul winning, giving in the Word of God that got gripey. So what happened? I'll tell you what happened. They didn't continue. If I live till May 19th and the church doesn't fire me before then, I'll have been pastor of the First Baptist Church of Bridgeport for 44 years and one day. She'll say, how'd you do that? Um, it was pretty tough. I'll tell you what I did. I, I never left. <laughs> they never fired me and I never left. <laughs> now, sometimes for a little bit, I might have thought about it. I had some opportunities come up I had thought about and prayed about. But I never really wanted to. Paul gives us really important, really simple. You're going to miss it. I'm making a big deal of it because I want you to know, even though it's easy to understand, it's really hard to do sometimes, but it's way more important to do than it is hard. If you continue, I'll tell you why some of you have bad marriages. When you were dating your wife, you do everything in the world to impress her. You took baths. <laughs> You bought her presents. You wrote silly little poems. You acted interested in the stuff she had to say. Yeah, heard one wife said to her husband, you know, when we were first married, we always sat together so close in the car, and, and now, now there's such a distance between us. And the husband looked at his wife. He's behind the street. He said, I didn't move. <laughs> hey, if you do after you're married, what you did before you were married in order to get married, you'll never get unmarried. Just continue. And, and by the way, if you're not as close to the Lord Jesus as you used to be, it's not him who's moved. He said, I want you to make progress. I want you to be well-placed. I want you to be rooted and grounded. Can I suggest to you, the longer I live, the more convinced I am that almost every trouble people get in is because they don't know or obey the Bible. No 80-year-old grandmother reading her Bible ever became a Calvinist. She read what somebody else said about it. No young preacher reading the Word of God said, oh, we shouldn't have church on Sunday night. Nobody reading the Bible said, oh, we have to go direct mail instead of door to door. I'm all for direct mail. Do you know what the direct mail does? It lets people know who you are, gives them an idea of what's out there, it waters the ground, and when you knock on the door, then they already know something about you and you don't start from ground zero. I'm not suggesting anybody else needs to do this, but I... A while ago, some things happened, and God kind of got me into reading my Bible through each month. So starting July of 2017, I've read the Bible through every month since then. I've just finished up. To, I'm up to Hebrews so far in my January reading. I'm, I'm a little bit ahead of schedule. And, and you know what's amazing to me? I find cool stuff all the time. I shared something with Pastor Fong in the car, and he was sharing things with me that we'd seen in the Word of God. You take any other book in the world and read it once a month and tell me you still like it. I've read Louis L'Amour books. You may not know who he is, but he's an old Western writer. And Dr. Rice used to read Zane Gray, but I think Louis L'Amour is better. And, and I, I like those books. And, you know, the bad guys get shot and the good guys win. It's a, it's a good book. But I'm not in him. I want to read twice, let alone once a month. 
And God says, yes, I want you to make progress. I want you to continue, but I want you to be well-placed. I want you to be grounded. I want you to have a good foundation. I want you to know the truth and to know me. And then he reminds us of our prospect. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. You know what? You have hope. Uh, My dad used to go to McDonald's every morning and he'd witness to people, give them chick tracks, eat a biscuit. One day he was there and he gave the gospel to a man. The man got saved. And afterwards the man said, how old do you think I am? Dad said, I don't know, 85. He pulled out his driver's license. He was 96 years old. And it was good for four years. <laughs> and then one day they said, Mr. Willette, you can't drive anymore. We estimate that you have a 12% chance of having a stroke and we cannot renew your license. And dad said, well, I guess that means I got an 88% chance of not having one. And you know what my dad did? He he always was witnessing. My dad gave away chick tracts. I saw one on the ground today when I was walking and I picked it up, but I'll read it later. And then I saw a couple taking pictures and got to give it to them and wouldn't, I I probably should, but I don't carry tracts when I'm exercising. I don't know if people want sweaty tracts or not. But, He'd get on a subway in New York. My sister would be with him, New York City. And he'd, start, he'd say to somebody, if you can answer this question, you win a prize. What? When was the War of 1812? <laughs> Anybody want to try? You want to you try? 1812, very good. And they would give him a chick tract. And it was a little more than a regular tract. Had a little story in there. And, and then he'd say to somebody else, hey, you can win one too. Who was buried in Grant's tomb? <laughs> Grant. And my sister said, and if you've ever been in New York City, those people are not nice. They're in a hurry. They're not talking to you. They're not messing with you. And, and those people warmed up, and they started saying, can I get one of those? And by the time my dad went to get off of the subway car, they said, wait, hey, make way for the reverend. Well, watch out for the reverend now. But he couldn't do that anymore. couldn't drive. So you know what he did? He started leading his hospice nurses to Christ. Led three of them to Christ, called me one night, or I called him, and he said, your cousin Billy was by her. He said, I've given him the gospel many, many times. He's 69 years old, and he came up from Florida on his way back to Massachusetts, and he stopped in, and I tried it again, and he got saved. My dad uh, gathered his strength and his energy to teach his adult Sunday school class. He'd taught for many years one last time. Had oxygen, had the teachers sitting down, made up a little flyer, had a big day, got lots and lots of people out to the church service that day. And the flyer said, the time of my departure is at hand. Come here, Ken Willette, teach a lesson on heaven. At the end of the lesson, he had him sing, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. That's Bible. Psalm 90 says the days of our year are threescore and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, and we fly away. <laughs> My dad had hope. My mother-in-law had dementia. She wasn't herself. got worse and worse. The last few days, she'd hardly talk. It just had to moan and be in pain and didn't seem to matter how much medicine they gave her. It didn't cut the pain. And just maybe a day or less before she went to heaven, she stopped that and she sang, At the cross, at the cross, 
where I first saw the light. And the burden of my sin rolled away. Pale, weak, faint voice. It was there by faith. I received my sight. And now I am happy all the day. As far as I know, the last word she ever said. She died in pain. She died without full possession of her mind. She died not remembering that her husband had predeceased her by three years. She died thinking sometimes that his son was a husband or that my daughter, my, her daughter, my wife, was somebody she'd never met before. But she died in hope that the cross had made the difference in her life. And so my challenge to the Heritage Baptist Church, go forward. I'm 100% with that. I totally agree with that. And... Uh, You'll enjoy all kinds of wonderful things if ye continue. I read the story recently of the building of the Brooklyn Bridge in New York City. It was completed in 1883. It's known, if you've seen it, as iconic granite towers and steel cables. It took 14 years to construct. 24 people at least died in the building of the Brooklyn Bridge, including its original designer. An engineer named John Roebling came up with the idea of building the massive suspension bridge to connect Manhattan and Brooklyn and New York City over the East River. And they thought he was crazy, but he and his son, Washington Roebling, set out to prove that it could be done. But John Roebling, two years into the project, was killed in an unfortunate ferry accident. And his young and fairly inexperienced son was left to carry out and fulfill the vision of his father. But that's not all the tragedies that befell the Roeblings. Part of the bridge was built underwater, and many of the men had struggles with decompression because of the difference in the pressure under the water and above the water. And that happened to Washington Roeblings so badly that he couldn't move. He couldn't speak. He couldn't hear. Except he could move one finger. And he devised a system by which he could tap on his wife's arm and communicate his instructions. He continued to direct the construction of the Brooklyn Bridge from his bed, giving instructions to his wife who gave it to the crew building the bridge. And he did that for 11 years. And 135, now 36 years later, the Brooklyn Bridge still stands and carries 150,000 people across it every day because somebody decided to continue. Dante Rossetti, a 19th century poet and artist, was approached by an elderly man. The old fellow had some sketches and drawings that he wanted Rossetti to look at and tell him if they're any good or if they showed potential talent. He looked him over carefully, and after the first few, he knew that they were worthless. Showing not the least of real artistic ability, but Rossetti was a kind man, and he told the elderly man as gently as possible that the pictures were probably not going to enable the person who wrote them to make a living as an artist. The visitor was disappointed, but he kind of seemed to expect what Rossetti had to say. He apologized for taking his time, but he said, Would you look at just a few more drawings? These are done by a young student. And he looked over that batch of sketches and Rossetti immediately with enthusiasm expressed his appreciation for the talent. They revealed these. He said, ah, these are good. This young man, whoever he is, has great talent. He should be given every help and every encouragement in his career as an artist. He has a great future if he'll work hard and stick with it. 
Rosetti could tell the old man was deeply moved. He wondered, was it a relative? Was it a son? Who was this? Was it your son? No. The old man said sadly, it's me, 40 years ago. If only I had heard your praise then, if ye continue. Lord Jesus, you're so wonderful. You've given us so much. You are so much. We have so much because of you. Help us to appreciate it. Help us to live a life worthy of you. And help us, Lord, to continue to go forward, to not be satisfied with the marvelous things you've done in this church and in the lives of the people who make it up, but to determine not to miss what you have the next step and the step after that and the challenge after that. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. I wonder who's here this evening. You say, Brother, we'll let the Lord spoken in my heart. Maybe that little thought about walking worthy. Maybe the idea of continuing. That doesn't mean just to not go back. It means to keep going forward on the right path. Maybe something else along the way. You say, God spoke in my heart. I need to do business with him tonight. Pray for me. If you say that, slip your hand up high. God bless you. God bless you. I wonder if anybody's here tonight and you say, I don't know if I died tonight, whether or not I'd go to heaven. I, I'd like to know that for sure, but I don't. I wish you'd pray for me when you pray for the others. I told you all about Jesus. I couldn't do him justice. I couldn't describe him, but I'll tell you, you trust Jesus, your sins are all forgiven. Heaven is your home forever, and the greatest life in the world is made available to you. I wonder who would say, I don't know I'm going to heaven, but I wish I did. Pray for me when you pray for the other folks. If you say that, slip your hand up high. I'll see it, and you can put it down. Father, you've seen our hands, you know our hearts. Bless the invitation I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please?